G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. And uh, what an exciting edition this is going to be for a couple of reasons. The season is about to resume. Who would have thought? Well, back in uh, the end of March, we didn't think we would see it again at all. So we're back. Round two, albeit delayed by... A couple of months at least, but round two is on this week and we're here to tell you about it. And uh, the most exciting part about that is we will now be going to two Footyology podcast episodes per week, back to the uh, standard format of a preview edition and a review edition. Now, this is the preview edition. And the next version you're going to hear of us will be the review edition, which will be recorded Sunday evening. As a rule, our preview edition will happen on Thursdays. We're just uh, boxing this one up early because we can't contain our excitement. We want to tell you about it. So the format has changed slightly. We will have extensive previews of all nine games in this edition. Vinyl on video is hanging around. We are hanging on to vinyl on video. That will be in the preview edition. The rant off moves to the review edition. All these exciting changes. Uh, we've got to get our heads around too. As I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm very pleased that we are about to put the footy back into footyology in a meaningful way. Of course, we've had a bit of footy content, but it's been... I think like anybody trying to cover the football over the last two months, uh, at times a little uh, teased or spurious, searching for stories. But footies, footy, footyology is about talking about the games that will be and the games that have been. What happens on the field does not stay on the field. It becomes grist for the mill for footyology. So to quote late, the late Big Kev, I'm excited. All true, all true. However... However, and this is a very important announcement I want to make, Fine, that uh, in this non-football period and over summer, we uh, struck upon a, a rich vein of culture, I believe, and uh, so do uh, so does a lot of the feedback we've been getting. And I'm talking about things like life hacks and vinyl and video and talking about stuff outside football uh, has some appeal for both of us and I think our listeners. And so... I have an important announcement today about Footyology, the website with which you may be familiar. We are teaming up with Patreon, uh, the US-based writer platform, if you like, and uh, it's a very important way that you can fund and maintain independent journalism. And uh, it's going to be playing a bigger and bigger part in our world as the media monoliths contract. We are teaming up with Patreon Finding. Now, that means a couple of things. Uh, It means that we will be putting most of our website content behind a paywall. What we are asking, and I can't stress this enough, we are not doing this to make a killing. We are doing this 
So basically, footyology can pay uh, writers to give you quality content. We're asking for a monthly subscription of five US dollars. Um, five dollars per month and that will unlock all footyology content for you now i should stress here too the podcast will remain free and accessible to everyone so if you don't want to be part of this uh that's fine you can get it for free but uh we're look i'm really excited about the direction this website's take i've already i've announced this on social media last night and we've already had um an amazing um roll-up of, of uh, patrons supporting us. And also, um, I've been contacted by several very, very uh, reputable and well-known journalists who want to get in on the act. So I think this is going to build quickly. You're going to be part of it as well, writing a weekly column. Um, the first piece of locked content is up there today, and it's a piece I've written uh, about music, and that's going to be a regular thing. But we're going to talk popular culture, we're going to talk music, we're going to talk TV, movies, arts, maybe some politics, other sports, but plenty of footy. Don't worry about that, footy fans. You're going to get plenty of footy. So I urge you to visit footyology.com.au. Take a look. Um, everything on there except today's offering is free. So if you haven't had a good look at it before, do so now. You can find us also at Patreon, uh, search for Footyology, and please subscribe. Again, I stress, this is about just being able to fund the product so we can at least break even and hopefully bring you a regular supply of quality content, not just about football, but about everything that people are interested in. All right, that's the spiel, Fanny. Um, and you have another spiel for our wonderful podcast sponsors. Yeah, love them. Really appreciate Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I, We, in fact, anybody that's eaten their burgers have eulogised the product because it for 81 years has been a true Aussie burger. It's funny. The What's the current generation? Generation what? Uh, I think we're just calling them millennials. Aren't yeah, we? probably millennials. The, the meme generation. I don't know what history will call them, but I call them uh, untrained, an untrained eye. You see, they are besotted by burgers with purple buns and chia seeds and fillings that imitate meat but never were and never will be and never should be. But it's funny, you know. You put an Andrew's hamburger into a millennium's or millennial's hands, they take a bite, and all their all, all their posturing seems to melt away. I'm not saying it'll turn a vegan, but it'll certainly turn a wanker into a better eater because they will have a true Aussie burger and they love it. Everybody loves it. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. I'm not saying all millennials are wankers, just everyone I know. Okay, uh, that goes for the uh, sustenance. Now, what about uh, getting a roof over your head? Why put why why put a roof over your head when you can have a, a design piece of brilliance? You know, something interesting happened. Nick Spartel's actually gifted me for my last birthday a beautiful, um, and it, it sort of sums up his building philosophy. It goes in the garden. It's a frame that you hang pots on to grow herbs out of. 
And it's beautifully constructed, actually, because we've just started using it. And I didn't realize that it sort of, it, it, it is angled in such a way that the water flows from the top pot all the way down quite ergonomically and cleverly. And I thought to myself, that encapsulates his philosophy for building, that even in a small space, if you think clever, you can maximize light, you can maximize warmth, you can maximize airflow. And that's what his builds are all about. They really are. So West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, for brilliant builds, not intelligent builds, brilliant builds, West Point Properties. And does that little device work well with your hydroponic setup? What, for marijuana? Yeah. I, I'm such a non-dope smoker. <laughs> I know. Poor attempt at humour. No, I'm not saying everybody in my family is a non-dope smoker, um, but <laughs> I do have sort of... So the kids, are the kids kids are still on my the gear then, are they? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I smell the wacky tobacco. You know, my great mate Gilbo, he used to have... Uh, in the back of his house, he set up what was called Bungalow A Go-Go, and he convinced his mother that the smell of marijuana was uh, incense. And she would often go in there oh, at, at, at midnight when he was with all his mates from the western suburbs and say, Russell, are you burning joss sticks again? <laughs> <laughs> she, must have thought, she must have thought he was a Buddhist. Yes, I've got a couple of stories uh, of the same ilk that date back to the mid-70s. Uh, fortunately, I was an onlooker, not a participant. All right, uh, I reckon it's time we got stuck straight into it, Fanny. Let's do it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Rightio. Well, as we record this, uh, something like 70, oh, geez, my maths is terrible, three days until we kick off again. So the serious footy news is cranking up. A uh, couple of injuries that we'll tell you about during the uh, preview segment. But uh, in news terms, I've got to say, Fine, you have to, I have been keeping a keen eye on the plans for um, fleshing out the crowd noise and, and uh, engaging with supporters, given that there won't be any crowds for this first part of the season. And the tinkering away in the uh, Channel 7 broadcast studios continues. Now, the latest we're hearing is that uh, they are considering an idea which sort of appropriates the show Gogglebox and they will be filming bands of supporters watching the game and getting their reactions to bits uh, of play when their teams kick a goal. That apparently will be broadcast on the uh, stadium scoreboards and PAs and obviously we'll see that at home. Um now, that on its own sounds okay to me, but scarily, I did see an analogy drawn to the infamous Channel 7 mega wall, uh, which has now been around for about 10 years and uh, had absolutely zero impact on the consciousness of the footy public. So um, what's the other things they've, they've talked about? They've, uh, the AFL has contacted clubs and uh, asked if they could organise fans uh, to be pre-recorded singing the club songs. Um, and the other, only three clubs, Collingwood, Essen and Western Bulldogs, are going the um, fans putting their own faces on uh, pre-made cardboard cutouts, life-size cardboard cutouts, which will be assembled behind the goals. Um, 
so I've got to say, Fanny, I, I, I am a crusty old cynic, but those first two suggestions in particular, I just hear the phrase, you know, Channel 7 are working on something and I immediately start trembling in fear that it could be, it just could have cringe written all over it. How do you see it? Well, the first idea of, um, well, it's not goggle box at all. It'll simply be used when there's a goal. So there'll be a goal, there'll be 10 Richmond supporters, the, well, whatever the maximum are allowed in a room. That's been done before. That was done in round one, I think, with two or three supporters or a family of supporters. That's been done in grand finals. That's just, you know, that's got big bloody deal written all over it. They kick a goal. Well, of course, you know. The supporters are going to cheer and they're going to play it up. There'll be a producer there. Come on, you know, uh, let's put a bit more into it. Bit more colour, bit more colour. Let, let's go. Let, let's, you know, lift it up. Lift up the vibe. Let, let's, let's. Okay, this is, this is exactly what I'm saying. Let's Cringe. make it unrealistic. Unrealistic, you know. Uh, not interested in that one little bit. They're not. Um, the fact is, these games are not being played in front of crowds, and I think the best thing you can do is embrace what else it gives us. Now, we saw in round one, there's no crowd. That's not great, but you do certainly hear more of the on-field interplay, and in the AFLW, I really enjoyed the non-playing members of the team becoming very vocal supporters, uh, from playing staff to injured players. Now, I don't know whether mm. the rest of the squad are allowed to go and watch these games, but I imagine they would be, given that they train with the team. And I reckon that'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to hear the other 20 members of a squad who's not playing really getting into it and getting behind their players. I don't need fake. I don't need fake sounds. I don't need pretend, <clears throat> pardon me, and I don't need crosses to jeed up supporters being told to ham it up for the TV. It's just bullshit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I can't see how that's going to, like, do you really think the players are going to get a lift out of that, out of a group of, you know, half a dozen people, you know, be staring down the lens going, go Tigers, you know? Like, it's oh, rubbish, on, mate. It's rubbish. It's 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 yeah. going to be sponsored. Let's Look, go, let's go, let's go to the, let's go to the um, Harvey Norman fan couch. Yeah. I'll say this, the NRL are doing the fake crowd noise and um, I, I look, I saw very briefly a few highlights and it didn't sound too bad. I, I didn't mind it, but I was told by someone that watched a bit more of it that the balance was all wrong. So, like, some team uh, was playing away from home and the crowd noise when they scored was totally disproportionate to the noise you would hear from that, from a team playing far away from home, so that immediately made me think. Come on, I mean, look, you've had three months to work on this. Can you not go back through the archives or archives if you're Barry Hall and grab, you know, like say for instance uh, this weekend, who, who's playing here um, from interstate this weekend? We've got uh, actually no first two games of locals. Have we not got anyone? Um, well, let's say... Uh, I can't find one. Let's say Fremantle playing up at the Gabba. You know, couldn't they go back to when Fremantle last played at the Gabba and grab the crowd noise from that after Freo kicked a goal? Like, is it that hard? There is no. So there was, there was no crowd noise. There'll be well, a similar okay. number of supporters. Okay, so reflect that then. Get uh, the smattering of... It's not worth of, it. Paul, on, 
as I well, said, as I said, embrace what's different. It, it won't be forever. And what's different is sounds of the game, enhanced um, interplay between the umpires and club officials and clubs, club list players being genuine frontline supporters and supporting in a different way that we do as fans, you know, really geeing up players and, and getting into their psyche and, you know. Well, no, that, that, that's true. That is That was one unexpected plus. Uh, but given that Channel 7 for 10 years now have had sounds of the game during ordinary coverage, what do you reckon they'll do with it? Screw I reckon it. they'll get rid of it. Look, <laughs> I reckon they'll get rid of it. The now other, that there is scope to really have it. The one thing I'd say, in the spirit of um, the MCG playing Akadaka uh, as an anthem prior to a final instead of or instead of the actual national anthem. Remember that? When they press the wrong button. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I in, do, yeah. In the spirit of a Jordanian gold medalist at the World Shooting Games many years ago. And not in Jordan in Jordan, the World Shooting Games um, played the Borat version of the Kazakhstan national anthem. Yeah. So in that yeah. spirit, I want people to press the wrong button for the pre-recorded sounds of the crowd, have laugh tracks, you know, those crappy <laughs> laugh tracks after a, after a goal or after out of bounds on the full, a laugh track being played. Or if well, there's plenty of games that yeah, go on. If there's a bad decision, you know, like that Jerry Springer audience, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> egging on, there's egging plenty, on. There, there's, there's plenty of games in recent years where I've wanted to play the Betty Hill theme music, so we could uh, we'd go go for that. For yeah, particularly bad. Or game. sad sad trombone oh. sad trombones. Wah, right, wah, well, wah, it'd be, inter- wah. be interesting to see what Channel Seven come up with and the AFL. All mm. right, I wanted to talk about this one because this one's been bubbling along for a few days, and uh, we've complained a fair bit recently about non-stories. Yep, and this one's a non-story when. There has been footy going on, and that's uh, probably made it even worse now there hasn't been. But I am so sick and tired of this annual spat between Port Adelaide and Collingwood about Port wearing their traditional prison bar jumpers uh, for two games a year or something, and Eddie Maguire and Collingwood getting their knickers in a knot about it. I mean, like, seriously, Port want to wear the prison bar jumper for the two showdown games. They used to wear them for the Heritage Round games, but now there is no Heritage Round and it looks like Eddie's sort of leapt on that as a way of making sure they don't wear it at all. He's, he was babbling on about court challenges and stuff. Give me a break. I mean, Port Adelaide is a, 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 an old established footy club with a rich history. Yes, this is a different version of them. It's two games a year. It honours their history. It really doesn't matter that much, and I suspect most Collingwood fans would agree with that. It, you know, like, for God's sake, can we... This is exactly what I'm talking about when I say we've all, you know, we've been through some terrible times recently, bushfires and a pandemic. The US is imploding. You know, is this the best Australia can do? Two puffed-up presidential egos having a pissing contest about jumpers? Oh, for God's sake, grow up. That's how I feel about it. What do you reckon? Is it the usual two protagonists? Yeah, David Kosh and Eddie Maguire. It's pronounced cock. Okay. It's Eddie. Yeah, all right, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, that's the correct pronunciation. It's David Kosh and Eddie. 
I can't. Uh, yeah, do you get the joke? Okay, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I do. I don't I've got it. a bit do, of a... So do you have a view on this? Uh, not really. It's, it's a spat between sprats. It's okay. It's it's uninteresting to the rest of the football public. But I did. Did you see that Eddie during time? Um, obviously, uh, plenty of it on his hot breakfast program on Triple M. I know it rates very well. Oh, I think it's quite a good show actually at times. Uh, promoting a night grand final. Why I don't know. Oh, uh, again. But, okay. Yeah. But he did it waving the flag. You see, and I love that. But this piece of flag waving was embarrassing. First of all, he said, oh, I'm right behind Michael Gadinsky. I reckon we go all Aussie assault on the entertainment. Forget the internationals. Let's go all Aussie. Well, mate, they won't be able to fly in any internationals. So I think the all Aussie assault is a bit of a, a lay down mazare for starters. Yeah. And then he goes, yeah, what a point. day to be. Cox Plate and the footy. Braithwaite and Barnsey. Now, look, I might be 55, and he's probably trying to appeal to me. In fact, I don't reckon Eddie, you know, Eddie became too famous for his own boots when he was 20 years old. He was very famous, very young, and probably didn't hasn't been to a pub to see a band. I, I, don't, I reckon the only things he knows in music are these two facts. You know, spider baits from the same little town as Shane Crawford and Alan Jeans and Tom Hawkins, because that's a footy fact. Yeah. And yeah. and I reckon he, he probably knows that uh, Daniel Johns from Silverchair uh, had a debilitating disease because that was a question on hot seat, and that'd be about the run of it. Uh, you know, Barnsey. Do, do, I, I know you're a bit of a fan of cultures or back in the day, but do you really need some pom caterwauling about the Vietnam War at a grand final with nobody there? And Braithwaite was kicked to the curb by. The Cox Plate, Mooney Valley kicked him to the curb last year. They didn't use him. There's nothing... Oh, is that right? Yeah. Look, there's nothing more cringeworthy. Uh. I've been to a few Cox Plates to cover it for when I was at SEN. And it, unfortunately, they had de- developed it into a real swill, a real drinkathon with, you know, those those um, armbands, those, those wristbands, fluoro wristbands that let you drink yourself to a state of um, unmentionable inebria. And just to see... You know, women in high heels trying to dance and, and snapping ankles on, you know, on the lawn prior to the Cox Plate. Thank God we've had winks for the last few years to draw our focus away from Daryl Braithwaite and that that shameful episode of Australiana. Oh, don't start me on horses, which isn't his song anyway. It's a Ricky Lee Jones song. I mean, I, I feel like I've been waging a personal campaign to I mean why is it that our unofficial national anthems are always the most cringeworthy songs I mean God I don't know look all right I'm sorry music's a very personal thing yeah and uh in actual fact the the piece of new content on footyology today uh involves a certain Mr Jimmy Barnes uh in a former guy so uh, I'm not going to bag him either but yeah I think it's a reasonable point that we could be moving on a bit. And look, last year at the grand final, they had uh, Tones and I performing, didn't they? So, um, you know, I think they've they've showed a preparedness to move with the times. But either way, you know, a piss-weak excuse for having a night grand final anyway. And we, you know, we, we have that post-game concert 
now anyway, which I think makes who plays for 10 minutes pre-game redundant. And again, I'll say it again, all these people, including, you know, senior footy journalists saying, oh, yes, just a trial, and if it doesn't work, we'll go back to a day game. No, we won't. If it comes in, it will not go back to a day game. So just bear that in mind when you say that, that uh, we won't be going back there if it goes tonight. Rowan, I I think my approach to trialling a night grand final is fair and reasonable. What is it? Wait for the next full solar eclipse that occurs during a grand final, and then you'll see what it's like to play in, in darkness. And if you like it, stick with it. I think there's one due in 3042. Yeah, okay. No, I can I can live with that or not live with that. Good, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Long God. All right, uh, there's enough news. But uh, like I said, we're pretty excited. We have some games to preview, Finey. So it's time for previews with Punch. Let's do it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio. Well, round two. Uh, the season resumes with round two at the MCG, Thursday evening, 7.40pm. And it's a cracking game. And I do remember, finally, the one round we did have, we were uh, very shortly after Collingwood's big Friday night win already uh, drooling about the prospect of a massive Collingwood-Richmond game uh, to kick off round two. And uh, that is what we have, even with the revamp fixture. And, uh, wow, uh, real appetise of this. Um, again, I blanch a bit about using the phrase blockbuster, given there'll be actually no one there. But uh, it doesn't get a lot bigger than this, really. I mean, Richmond, obviously, the reigning premier and power team of the competition, and Collingwood, runner-up season before last, and a kick away from a grand final last year. So um, I reckon this is going to be a massive clash. Some uh, key absentees, if you like, for Collingwood. Uh, Adam Trelaw, uh, he'll be missing with a calf injury. He's had a pretty bad run with some soft tissue injuries. However, we will see Jaden Stevenson back. He missed out in round one. A fair bit of speculation that uh, recruit Darcy Cameron will get his go. Um, And that is mainly because Mason Cox won't be there. He's still nursing a knee injury. Uh, Travis Varco, uh, who also missed round one, he should be right. Um, Ben Reid, however, uh, continues to be plagued with hamstring injuries. He won't be there. As for the Tigers, well, they've got just about a full book, although one important absentee will be Basha Hooley, uh, still nursing a calf injury. Um, you look at their best potential 22, and it's, gee, it's a, a powerful outfit. And when you look at some of the guys who might miss out, or probably will miss out, and we're talking about like Jack Higgins, Jack Ross, Cam McIntosh, Noah Bolter, uh, gee, they've got some impressive depth. So, look, this is um, – it's, it's a great clash. We know Collingwood famously upset them in the 2018 preliminary final. Uh, I still think Richmond is uh, – not by a long margin, but I think they are definitely a better side. Uh, no reason to tip against them, frankly. I thought they were pretty efficient in that win over Carlton in round one. Uh, Collingwood probably the more impressive, but uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. So, it's the Tigers for me. What say you? Yeah, I, I really, it's going to t- 
take a lot for me to tip against Richmond at the MCG for the next two or three years because they play that ground so professionally. And that round one was a typical win against Carlton. They got away early. Carlton did some business, but when it mattered, Richmond flicked the reins. They did it with a virtual no-show by uh, full forward Tom Lynch, who did, you know, precious little. But uh, he's better than that. We know that. And as you say, they're going to have an abundance of good players to choose from. Collingwood has midfield strength and you will be get you'll get a good measure I'll tell you this is a short season it's it's the quick or the dead here I know that early Collingwood Richmond games are usually superseded by the later season games when we head into finals but this is it people uh two teams that are going to be by most estimations pointy end uh teams meet in round 2 so this is a this is as good as it gets for what might be a look at the prelim, preliminary or grand final. Watch carefully. Richmond for mine. Okay, we move on to another uh, traditionally blockbuster-type clash between the Cats and the Hawks. This one, however, uh, being played at GMHBA Stadium. So uh, interesting, that, because no crowd, but I think it's the dimensions of the ground far more so than the home crowd factor, which aids Geelong. Um, I'm pretty, I didn't look this up just before, but I'm pretty sure the last time the Hawks played down there was 2006, uh, a game they won, actually, a game I, I covered. Um, but uh, that, that I think, gives Geelong some uh, distinct advantages. Uh, in terms of personnel, Colin Jasny uh, had a hip injury, but uh, expected to get through, prove his fitness. And should be right. Um, Jordan Clark, they're talking about moving him back to a wing. Uh, Brandon Parfit, uh, also expected to come in for them. Um, pretty strong lineup. If uh, I, I see some speculation, they may omit Sam Menegola, who I would have thought's part of their best 22. Uh, a bit disappointing, though, in round one, albeit. How long ago now? Nearly three months ago. Uh, the, the Hawks, well, they were uh, one of the most impressive teams in round one, weren't they? And um, certainly a fair bit of belief that they can rebound really strongly this year and make the finals again. Um, we're talking about O'Meara, you mentioned last week, has that uh, crack above the eye, isn't it? He's got to pass a fitness test. Uh, Blake Hardwick also has a test ahead of him. Uh, but they've got plenty of fit, willing players. Uh, John Patton, of course, will play second game for the Hawks and his shapes is a very handy inclusion indeed. Um, so look on for, you know, the last game exposed form was three months ago, so it really doesn't count for much. For me, I reckon the, the home ground advantage actually tips this one for me the cat's way. So I'm going for them. What do you reckon? Yeah, you can't help but know that Geelong plays so well down there and we will see how much of that is the parochial home crowd because there's about as many Hawthorne supporters going to get to this game as would get to the game normally anyhow. They reserve a block of three seats and a stool for opposition supporters at GMHBA. So we'll see how much of a factor the crowd is in 
buoying the spirits of the local team. But as you say, it's an oddly shaped ground and you, you just lean towards Geelong at home. And I follow your logic, even though Hawthorne's win over Brisbane was mighty. And Geelong was pretty disappointing, actually, in round one. A very tough game, GWS. But nevertheless, didn't fire many shots. Gary Ablett looked as though the last thing he needed was two months without footy. And Paddy Dangerfield looked like a couple of months off might help him because he looked a bit hobbled. So we'll see how those key men, and of course it should help Selwood. So I'll tip along. Rightio, we move to Saturday and we head north up to the Gabba. And of course uh, that will be um, part of the hub uh, operating in Queensland with uh, the two South Australian, two Western Australian teams ensconced up there for the next month at the very least. Brisbane taking on Fremantle, 1.45 Saturday afternoon. Brisbane, obviously pretty disappointing in round one in that loss to Hawthorne and the Dockers. Uh, gallant, hate saying that, but gallant in defeat they were against the Bombers at Marvel Stadium. Uh, what's on the agenda in terms of selection? Well, uh, Grant Birchall, a late draw for the Lions in round one. He should be back. Uh, who else? Archie ruled out late ahead of the season opener. Um, should be back for them. So uh, really the only uh, major player for the Lions unavailable is Marcus Adams, who has a foot injury. Um, Freo, still, uh, that was a, a really good effort by them against the Bombers. Um, and given the personnel they're missing at the moment, Alex Pierce, ankle injury, Joel Hamley, ankle injury. So it really guts their defence. Um, so got to cover for that. But Griffin Logue, they've got Brennan Cox being shifted backwards to fill a hole there. Uh, I like the look of, of, of this side, though. They're definitely playing already. You can see they're playing a more positive attacking brand of footy. I think that'll hold them in good stead. I think it's important for the Lions to make a, a statement at home, uh, particularly after how disappointing they were in round one. And uh, that will have increased the cynicism about them being one-hit wonders. So they need to make a statement. I think they will. I'm going for the Lions to win that one. Yeah. It- I don't think it takes coaching genius um, to work out how to short-circuit Fremantle. What we saw in round one was a very courageous effort. And who was that kid the first game that kicked a couple of late goals on Michael Hurley? Sort of embarrassed him. He looked a promising type. But really, that comeback and that realistic shot at winning the game came on the back of Fife and Walters. And they are the absolute cut-above quality in that team. So if you put your eggs in that basket, and I think Brisbane have got some pretty conscientious midfielders and defenders to take that job and do well at it. So I'm tipping the home team. All right, back to Melbourne we go. Marvel Stadium, the Saturday twilight game at 4.35pm. It is Carlton taking on Melbourne. Uh, Fair to say two teams that don't necessarily have a fondness for the Docklands Arena, but that's where they're playing. Uh, Carlton, plenty of injury worries ongoing for them. In fact, listen to the uh, list of definite outs for them. Matthew Cruiser, foot, probably going to miss the whole year. Um, Caleb Marchbank, serious knee injury. Zach Fisher, you know, that bit of 
enthusiastic run through the middle. He's got an ankle and the big one, uh, literally and metaphorically, Charlie Kernow, who probably won't play all year with a knee injury. They do get back Harry Mackay, so an important replacement as a key forward. Eddie Betts comes back to the Blues. Couldn't play in round one because of a calf injury, but he will be there. Um, so that'll be good for them. For the Demons, well, uh, couldn't have got worse for uh, Melbourne than it did last year. Uh, who have they got? Aaron Vandenberg, probably unavailable for them. But uh, beyond that, a uh, pretty full list for them to choose from. Need to make a statement, the Demons, I think. Uh, so disappointing were they last year. Look, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a believer in what Carlton is trying to do. Uh, but I just think they can't afford that amount of talent to be out of their side. It just leaves them with a bit uh, insufficient spark, I would say. So I know Melbourne's record at this ground is appalling, though it has been a bit better in recent times. But uh, I think the Demons will win this one. I reckon the Demons' um, dog's day bullet as far as spotlight on round one poor performances go. It, it fell to the Bulldogs and the Saints, who actually meet in round two, to cop most of the criticism. And maybe that's because Melbourne were uh, playing over in the West and uh, people sort of... Uh, apologies are made on behalf of teams that play there because it's a difficult encounter uh, and also it was that game played after the COVID announcement we were all in shock as to the extent of lockdown that we were about to see Australia-wide so it was very much a sidebar issue that game but their performance was God, they didn't fire a shot. They looked completely inept to me going forward when it mattered in that game. I, I hated their forward line. It was non-functional. There's a big question on their forward line. They didn't do much to improve it, but I tell you what, it needs improving. I'm tipping Carlton. Oh, yeah, okay, we differ on that one. All right, uh, the showdown did you agree with that? Oval. Do you agree Melbourne stunk up the house in round one, by the way? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we were so focused on the the shutdown that we it sort of went by the by, as those late Sunday games often do. Yep. All right, showdown on Saturday evening, 7.10 local time, 7.40 uh, Eastern time. Port Adelaide and Adelaide, always uh, a hard one to tip. Uh, you never quite know what's going to happen. Port have um, pretty much a full squad to choose from. Uh, they had concerns over Charlie Dixon. He had a doctor injury. Uh, Robbie Gray, uh, Darcy Bonner, but they're all expected to get to the line. Uh, I guess the big one or couple of the major ones for them are Ollie Wines, who had quite a serious shoulder injury, uh, and Brad Ebert, a knee injury, and uh, also expected to line up. And a fair bit of depth there. You, you're talking about uh, Stephen Motlop perhaps not getting into that best 22. So a bit of a tribute to the evenness, I think, of that lineup. The Crows, um, gee, some interesting internal stuff going on there with Andrew McLeod being pretty outspoken about uh, not feeling welcome back at the club. So the cultural issues continue to bubble away at Adelaide. Interesting one. They get on the playing side of it, however, they get Tom Doty back. Um, for first game since round one last year. And uh, lovely young guy, Tom Doty, and uh, a real leader already of that side. So good to see him back. Uh, they were 
stiff to go down to Sydney in round one, the Crows, or when I say stiff, um, could have gone either way that game. And uh, But this is very much a side feeling its way, I think, under new coach Matthew Nix. And uh, it's going to take some time for them. Who have they got unavailable? Well, Tyson Stengel, he's got that club suspension over him. Riley Knight also probably going to miss with a heel. I tend to usually tip the Crows in those games, Finey, but uh, I, I think these are unusual times and I think this is a different era for Adelaide and I think it's going to take them a bit of time. I'm going to go for Port to win this one. What do you reckon? Oh, Port, Port's a special. You know, Adelaide lost to a, a, a pretty, um, I'm not saying makeshift Sydney Swans because they didn't look good on paper, Sydney Swans, heading into that game and... Uh, even though it was a very close game, Adelaide actually were playing on the sort of counterpunch. They really, I thought the score flattered them a little bit at home. Mm. Uh, I, I was not impressed mm. by them, and they found further reason to squabble amongst themselves in a period of what should have been uh, community and bonhomie during the COVID-19 lockdown. I thought it was all warm and fuzzy around football clubs during that period. Inclusion at a distance was the de rigueur, but not at Adelaide. They continue to squabble amongst themselves. I think they're a bit of a mess. Port Adelaide will feast on that. Okay, a confident uh, tip of the power for you there. All right, let's head back up to Queensland, uh, this time to the Gold Coast, Metricon Stadium, 7.40 Saturday evening, and we have Gold Coast taking on West Coast and Gold Coast gave a, a bit of cheek uh, for a fair while in that round one game against uh, Port Adelaide. And West Coast um, didn't have too many problems disposing of Melbourne. Personnel-wise, uh, some important additions expected to come back into the Suns lineup: uh, Harbrow, Thompson, Hanley. Fair bit of experience there in a side that sorely lacks it. So they're really... Important inclusions for them. Sexton has become an important goal kicker, should be back. And uh, the rest of it, well, they'll be those young, young, highly rated youngsters upon whom the Suns will be building their immediate future. West Coast, uh, looking all right personnel-wise. Uh, Jared Cameron, he's unavailable. Uh, pubic bone injury for him. Mark Hutchings has a knee injury. He won't be available. Uh, but... Good chance for others to come in and sort of acquit themselves in a best 22 scenario. Look, I, I think Gold Coast might be overall more competitive this year. I mean, you'd hope they would. Um, they're starting from scratch again, basically. But, you know, I think some of these young guys really are starting to earn their stripes a little bit and starting to have more of an impact for longer periods. So I wouldn't be surprised if they gave the Eagles some cheek. But... Having said that, I think West Coast is a very good side still, and uh, I think they'll emerge with the points comfortably enough. Yeah, they're, they've, it's a hub, you know. It's very, it's it's difficult for West Coast. They've got no family over there. Very hard. Well, very difficult. I'm, sorry, I'm, I meant to mention that. Uh, the but in fact, two West Australian sides are only only three. Players from either club, and that is three West Coast players, are taking family with them. They're tipping, after all that thing about families and whatever, only three out of 25 odd, uh, 50 odd players are taking family with them. So, obviously, not too uh, worried about the comforts of home. Anyway, uh, go on, sorry. Yeah, very difficult for them in the hub. 
they'll win by they'll win by ten goals. It ain't going to be difficult. They are in a different league to Gold Coast. Whether there's no crowd, whether it's a hub, you know, throw shorter games, any circumstance, West Coast will beat Gold Coast. Uh, yeah, pretty much have to agree with that logically. All right, logically. What'd you say, Roger? Logically, I mean, you know. When you oh, say when you say, the, when you say when you when you say these things, it, it's sort of like one in one in twelve times Gold Coast would win, which means there is yeah. a, a, there is a strange scenario that sees them winning one in twelve. But really, that's the likelihood. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. All right, uh, let's go to Giant Stadium Sunday afternoon, one o five. That's interesting. That one ten used to be that start time. It's come back five minutes. Oh, I don't know why. Yeah, because uh, that's, gr- to, that's to make sure that the um, they fit all the fans in the one ten when you yeah, know, when good. when there are crowds. You've got to make sure there's plenty of time to stack them in. Yeah, very good. All right. Yeah. So the Sunday game times have altered. Uh, we'll get to that last one, which is on at six o five from memory. Anyway, one o five. Greater Western Sydney. Taking on North Melbourne, of course, GWS runners-up last year and uh, really, uh, I guess, their season was made by a terrific September campaign. They were very up and down prior to that. In fact, they were bloody awful before the finals. So I'll be interested this year to see whether they can um, reproduce on a consistent basis that form they showed through most of September. Uh, one important absentee for them, and uh, it's a serious one, Tim Taranto, who's just been a star for them in the last couple of years. He will be missing with that serious shoulder injury. Still some time off, I think. Uh, could be a good inclusion for them, though. Callum Ward, uh, be great to see him back since uh, having his knee reconstructed early last year. Um, so a chance to play, I think, at this stage. Um, got some tough selection calls to make. Uh, their highly rated draftee, Green, uh, very impressive in pre-season games. Might have to make way. Um, Zach Williams, another walk-up start. He missed round one with Achilles, but he's ready to go. So they've got uh, plenty of depth to pick from there. North Melbourne, um, interesting one for them. Uh, some terrible news about Magic Door and that pectoral injury. He'll be missing for them and really stiffened up that uh, defence back in 2018 when he went back there. So uh, Josh Walker, who you might not remember, but Josh Walker now at his third AFL club, gone from Geelong to Brisbane to now to North Melbourne. Uh, he's will be definitely playing in that lineup. Um, injuries haven't been kind of the ruse, though. Apart from Daw, they'll be without uh, Davies Uniac, uh, Taylor Garner. Geez, he's had some injuries. Ben... Jacob Still, Kane Turner, Ed Vickers-Willis, Marley Williams out suspended. Uh, I reckon they need all them on deck to be pushing the Giants finally. It's the ruse for me on that score. It's GWS on that score, isn't it? Didn't you say? Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, GWS. I'm not tipping the ruse. I'm tipping the Giants. Why did I say that? All right, go on. Well, late adjustment. Prior to the start of the season, I tipped GWS to win the flag, and I did so because I think they've got a beautifully balanced forward line. Toby Green is um, 
you know, just placed for a fantastic season. He's a great player. He's unencumbered this year, mentally and physically. Cameron up forward. They've got, uh, obviously, guys like um, Finlayson, very handy foils, beautiful midfield. Uh, we've Canilio back, remember. I know that their season, as you say, was up and down, but remember they didn't have Canilio. They, they actually did very well with some key injuries last year, I thought, and Sam Jacobs a great inclusion. Oh, I've got no problems tipping them. North did well in round one to um, to really take a game away from St Kilda, but that sort of um, theft is less likely at Giant Stadium, much less likely. Okay, so GWS for both of us. And uh, just down the road at the SCG at 3.35. So uh, nice little double there for uh, rabid footy fans in Sydney. Yeah, go great. They, you can go and see both games. Two games? Not. Oh, you can't. Can you? you know what? <laughs> yeah, just, there you go. It's going to be hard not to do that, isn't it? Yeah. I just, yeah, there you go. There you go. Get used to that. Apologies, everyone. No, of course, you won't be going and seeing both those games. Yeah. Uh, Sydney, really good win for them in, in round one. I don't know what the relevance of round one for me, so I, I really don't. I guess it has to be some sort of guide, uh, just with you know the, the new ways teams are playing and their various systems. Uh, Sydney and Essendon have produced some absolute uh, classics at the SCG over the years, usually with the Swans um, getting over the line and Essendon finishing heartbroken. But uh, speaking about heartbreak, uh, the most significant injury of the last little while, Finey. Uh, no doubt that it has hit the Swans. And we're talking, of course, about Lance Franklin. Serious hamstring injury. He's going to be out for a fair while. Also unavailable for them, Sam Reid. Also unavailable for them, Ben Ronk. So how's that for decimating an already suspect forward setup? Uh, they've just got, what are they going to do up forward? They're going to have to play Isaac Heaney as a key forward, basically. You've got Nick Blakey. Um, Look, Papley's dangerous. Don't worry, he can kick goals. Oh, yeah, but I mean, geez, is height. Is oh, yeah, no height. height. No height. Callum Sinclair will have to uh, go Tom, forward. Yeah, Tom McCartan, I suppose, although uh, I'm looking at a best 22 here and they've got him penciled in at centre-half back. Yep. So uh, inju- injuries haven't been kind at all for them. Um, and uh, that's left them having to fill holes here, there, and everywhere. The Bombers, well, they've had plenty of injury worries over the pre-season too, and some more. In fact, uh, very recent one, this, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody in serious doubt for this game after rolling an ankle at training just in the last couple of days. Orazio Fantasia already been ruled out. He's got a quad injury, so Bombers missing a couple of those dangerous small forwards. That's a worry for them. Uh, that's probably it on the injury front, though. Um, oh, Joe Danaher's still unavailable. Uh, the layoff's been pretty decent for the Bombers. They did have a number of experienced senior players uh, that weren't going to be available, but they're all, most of them probably going to get to the line. Even skipper Dyson Heppel, who was very doubtful only a few weeks ago. Kyle Hooker, he's had a hip injury. He'll be right to play, we're told. Uh, Sean McKernan, he missed that round one game with illness. He's right, of course. Connor McKenna, back from Ireland, he's okay. Even Paddy Ambrose, who um, had a fairly serious knee injury pre-season, he could also come back too. So things looking up for the Bombers. Um, I think not a happy hunting ground for them, the SCG finally, but I think they win this one. 
I'm going to go for the Swans. When you're ready. I'm going to go for the Swans. You see, as okay. as much as that forward line doesn't have height, I think forward lines are quite effective sometimes with a lack of height, as long as there's an abundance of skill. And I've, I'm happy to place faith in Blakey, Haywood, uh, Papley and Heaney. I, I think that's uh, got danger written all over it. And I thought Essendon's back line was a bit sluggish in the first game. Expect more from Hurley. Uh, it'll be a, a really good contest. I think the outs sort of um, bring these teams fairly closely matched. And I'm tipping Swans by a squeak. Ooh, OK, you don't rate the Bombers. I mean, really, I mean, Essendon should be beating Sydney if we expect those two teams to perform Oh, anyway, don't worry. No, you could be right. You could be right. All right, uh, final game of round two, and it is at Marvel Stadium at 6.05pm on Sunday. We're going to have some late finishes all geared for TV. Uh, This is a clash that's produced some interesting um, games over the years, a couple of uh, preliminary finals as well. Uh, the Saints, uh, disappointing in round one in losing to North Melbourne. The Bulldogs, far more disappointing in getting smashed by Collingwood. That was that was the stinker of round one, I think. Um, St Kilda looked pretty good uh, health-wise. Uh, I think Josh Battle expected to come into that team. Um, I see here in some speculation, they haven't even got Paddy Ryder lining up in the best 22. So St Kilda are travelling okay in personnel terms if he's not part of the Best 22, I would have thought. No, they, they, you uh, know they played cool. a full-scale practice game uh, late last week, I think, on Friday maybe. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, don't th- I don't think Paddy Ryder will be playing. And my, my smoky, John O'Marsh, might be in that forward line, mate. Yeah, okay. He's not, uh, he's not in my line-up here. He's not even in the emergencies. But I, I, I bow to your superior knowledge of St Kilda to the people that put this 22 together. Yep. All right, uh, Western Bulldogs. Um, one key out there, and if you need a reminding, Lockie Hunter, that club imposed suspension after that uh, pretty serious incident, off-field incident involving him and some alcohol and a few parked cars. Uh, didn't go down well for Lockie. He is suspended by the club. Um Coming back into that side, none of these guys played in round one, but all a chance to play. Uh, Private Lipinski, as we like to call him, Patrick Lipinski, Tom Liberatore, Toby McLean, Josh Shackey, all contenders to play. Uh, this might be the toughest game of the round to pick, I reckon, just about. Uh, that, I just don't know. Geez, the Bulldogs were disappointing. Then again, I, I've been pretty... Bullish, pardon the pun, about their prospects this year. I have been about St Kilda too. What am I going to go here? All right, you make uh, your rationale and tip and then I'll decide whilst you're talking. I still think I've got great faith ultimately that St Kilda's recruiting will pay huge dividends. Uh, you know, Dougal Howard, Brad Hill, uh, good pickups, Dan Butler and uh, so to Zach Jones, I, I think a very good pickup. The good news from that intra-club, best player on the ground, they uh, had, and watches clearly was Dan Hanabry. He kicked goals, leading possession winner, looked vital, uh, looked looked to have vitality, and look, he's a bloody good player, went right. So that's builds to a good midfield. Doggies have got a great midfield. I tip Doggies to finish right up there this season, so I've got to stick with them. I've got to be true to my instinct on the Bulldogs, and that is that 
you know, with Norton being supported by Josh Bruce. Josh Bruce didn't do much round one. He's playing against his previous team, St Kilda, at his beloved uh, Telstra Dome, Etihad Stadium, or Marvel, call it what you will. He's played there all different ones, I think. Uh, I think he'll have an influence, and I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. Rightio, that is Did you make uh, a our tip? previews. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> How am I going? Uh, yeah, I'm sticking with the dogs too. Okay. Um, I, look, I, I, I do think I'm bullish about both these teams, but I just, I'm going to give the Bulldogs another chance. I think what happened in round one was an aberration and uh, had certainly had plenty of time to rectify it. So Bulldogs for me. That is our round one previews done and dusted. Uh, I think now... Finally, the time is right to step back in time and consider some of the best music, movies, TV and some old footy memories from a year in the past. Vinyl and Video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, I got to choose the year this year, Finey. Oh, this year. I got to choose the year this week, Finey, and uh, very happily I was able to dip into my favourite musical era, certainly, the 1990s. We are going back to 1994. Let's start with music. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a, the proverbial pig in you-know-what when it comes to music of the early 90s. So many great albums to choose from. Here's a few. Uh, Live brought out Throwing Copper. Helmet, one of my favourite bands, brought out Betty. Pearl Jam brought out Vitalogy. Stone Temple Pilots brought out the much-fated Purple album. Offspring brought out Smash. R.E.M. brought out Monster. But I finally am going with the mighty Soundgarden and Super Unknown, a fantastic, sprawling, epic journey of an album. Uh, which finished very high indeed. I think number seven or nine in my top 20 albums series I did on Twitter. Um, This is Soundgarden at their absolute peak. All the best grungy, um, uh, monolithic rock type stuff, but uh, really mixed it up in terms of styles and a long album too. This is over 70 minutes long, this album, Uh, hence the use of the phrase a, a sonic journey some killer songs on it let me drown my favorite Soundgarden song my wave was popular uh the title track super unknown is a ripper of course black hole sun the the sound garden sort of power ballad everyone seems to know spoon man great song and a pretty big single for them the day i tried to live love it uh fresh tendrils another great song like suicide Geez, they're a great band. Chris Cornell, one of the great vocalists in my view and sadly lost. Kim Tail, terrific on guitar. Ben Shepard on bass. Matt Cameron on drums. This is Soundgarden's finest hour, finally. Super unknown. If you haven't heard it, do yourself a favour. Put it on. Listen to it from start to finish. You'll be transported to weird, wacky, wonderful places and emerge with a far greater appreciation of one of the staples of the grunge movement. There you go. That was pretty succinct. Well done, mate. Horrible year for music for mine. It was the sort of um, zenith of of your beloved screeching, screaming, grungy, um, untidy Americans with you know more attitude than more attitude than morals, yelling about stuff I couldn't care about all 
all fairly similar to me and not much to recommend it. You couldn't dance to it and you couldn't drive your mother around in the car to it. So I do take an album that was the only album for a bit of a cult singer. Was he a great musician? Was he a great singer? I don't know. Was he a great songwriter? I don't know. But he died young as his father did, but he had a moment. He had a moment on this album, almost accidental. Apparently he had was babysitting one night and heard J.J. Cale sing a cover of the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. And he was taken aback by that rendition. And there is just something... Do you think you should name him now? Oh, Jeff Buckley. And it's <laughs> the album is Grace, but the song Hallelujah is the iconic recording of that song. It's been done by other... Covered by many. Um, what's that band? Smash Mouth or something? It was covered yeah. by a band from... On the on the soundtrack to Shrek, which is unsuitable. This is a haunting melody of a lover's pain and, and love lost, love torn, love taken, um, sex had, sex lost. It's powerful. It's really a, a great poem, a great bit of prose by Leonard Cohen, sung hauntingly brilliantly by Jeff Buckley, and that makes that my album of the year because I don't know another bloody song from it, but that's where Hallelujah was first heard as a Jeff Buckley song. So what else he did on it? I listened to a bit of the rest of the album and it's all a bit, um, you know, self-pitying, half-baked crooning to me, but Hallelujah is a miraculous win for him. I've got the album. I must admit, I don't think I've played it for 20 years, but uh, he has got an incredible, or he did have an incredible voice, uh, Jeff Buckley, of course, his father, Tim. Yeah, sad story. Both of them really didn't. I think he just sort of walked into the ocean and, yep. yeah, it was, it was a bit bit weird, that one. Sad. All right, let's talk, let's talk movies and uh, some massive. I'm really surprised you didn't pick the movie I thought you'd pick. Oh, there's one um, movie I love that year, but I had I didn't go for it. Was it Pulp Fiction? No, nah, I hate Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, I think it's really overrated. Pulp Fiction. So do I. But I, I'm not much. Yeah, I'm not much of a Tarantino fan. I reckon he's all substance, no, all style. I shouldn't substance. say I, I shouldn't say I hate it. I liked it. You know, to me, it's it was like eating McDonald's. When I saw it, I, I, I enjoyed it, and then it. it any retelling or reviewing just it doesn't hold any interest for me past my first watch, which makes it a, a very disposable movie. Okay, so I suspect the movie you are talking about there is Forrest Gump, which was absolutely massive. That's um, not my favourite. Yeah, no, I, I did, no, I knew that. Uh, I didn't actually see Forrest Gump until a couple of years ago, believe it or not. And again, a bit overrated for me. Oh, uh, four weddings and a funeral. Dumb and Dumber, The Lion King, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, some Australian content there. Hoop Dreams, fantastic doco-style um, basketball movie. I, however, have gone with a cult movie, Finey. You may have seen it. You may know of it. But the incredible thing about this is uh, this film did pretty well at the box office. It was made for the budget, a budget almost we could even almost afford. It was made for $27,500 by a man called Kevin Smith, who wrote, directed, and co-produced the film Clerks. 
shot in black and white and about two uh, Gen X young American guys uh, called Dante Hicks and Randall Graves. Very well played by Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson and their days working in a convenience store and a video store, respectively. The series of wild and wacky events um, which go on. Uh, Dante's been called in to work on his day off and isn't too happy about it. Um, but uh, it's a very, very funny movie. And I reckon for 1994, really, it's sort of established a genre of movie making, I think. So you look at it now and you think, oh, yeah, there's plenty of movies like that. Well, there wasn't back then. I think it's one of the still remains one of the funniest movies I've seen. I absolutely loved it when I saw it. Um, have a look at it, people. It's well worth your while. Clerks. Have you seen Clerks? Yeah. Did you like it? I thought it was great for twenty-seven and a half grand. You know, yeah, I, I, I marvelled at its at its cleverness for its you know in a world of incredible high cost to produce a movie. It was very clever, very very good. Um, All right, your okay. movie. So my apologies. My clear second was the brilliant Ed Wood that tells the story of Hollywood's most failed director, but loved really past his death. He was a cross-dressing. Um, he was a cross-dressing sci-fi director, and it's a great movie. Ed Wood, Johnny Depp. I don't really like his movies, but I loved him in that movie. And Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi is one of the great portrayals I think I've ever seen but my movie look despite the fact that every footballer in any code between 1995 and 2010 named it their favorite movie despite the fact that Morgan Freeman narrating has come has has become a bit of a parody upon itself now uh, so there's a lot of reasons to bail out from Loving Shawshank Redemption other than it's a magnificently tight script based on a Stephen King short story Tim Robbins is wonderful as the innocent party convicted and plotting a, an escape that nobody could imagine. Morgan Freeman is great in the movie, and it's just eminently memorable, memorable and quotable. You know, things like, um, I'd like to think that the last thing that went through the warden's brain, other than the bullet that killed him, was how Andy Dufresne got the better of him. Andy Dufresne, who crawled through three quarters of a mile of shit and foul smellingness I cannot dare think about. Andy Dufresne. And, of course, the warden himself, when he discovers that uh, Andy Dufresne had escaped, that's a great scene when he, he's got Morgan Freeman and the big uh, fellow warden in the cell, and he says, It's a goddamn conspiracy! He up and vanished like a fart in the wind. And he starts throwing pebbles at people. And then he looks at the poster of Raquel Welsh. And he says, what say you fuzzy britches? And nobody knows until he throws the pebble at Raquel Welsh that it hides a tunnel that he had dug over 20 years in prison. It's a brilliant story. It's a prison story for the ages. And no matter how many shit footballers loved it, so do I. Yeah, no, well summed up. I, I agree with you. I love it. And speaking about footballers, I've got to tell this story very quickly. I went uh, and a lot of media um, and AFL officials got flown over to Perth for the official launch of Fremantle halfway or late in the season in 1994. On the plane back from Perth, uh, we were watching the Shawshank Redemption. It got to about 
10, 15 minutes left and we were due to land and the movie got turned off and a collective groan was emitted by the aircraft. When made aware of this, the pilot very generously decided to do another circle (laughs) of the airspace so we could watch the end of Shawshank Redemption. I kid you not. That That is is a a great story. Love it. (laughs) That's a great story. Love it. Yeah, so... That's uh, that's my memory, Shawshank Redemption. No, great movie. I love it. Uh, all right, TV. Now, I'm really happy with this one. Some of the other TV shows in this year, Friends, which was pretty big, ER, Chicago Hope, Party of Five, Blue Heelers, and the footy show, of course, started, let's say, Thursday night. Uh, a big one uh, in Melbourne and Australia. But I'm going with a comedy, local comedy classic finding, Frontline. Uh, the parody of a current affairs show, which uh, not long after ceased to be parody because uh, the actual current affairs shows were uh, probably funnier than the parody. Uh, Made by the crew who came to be known as Working Dog, 39 episodes over three years, written by Rob Sitch, Santo Chilaro, Tommy Gleisner and Jane Kennedy, featuring the memorable frontman Mike Moore, the vacuous preening narcissistic front man just like every current affairs show host Brooke Vandenberg the ambitious young reporter played by Jane Kennedy and Marty D'Astasio the slightly underhand reporter played by Tyriel Mora a series of executive producers who are all great in their roles uh Emma Ward uh the producer character played by Alison White it's a very funny show it was wry and funny and really skewered the concept of local current affairs finding. It was a great show, and you can get it on DVD if you haven't seen it. Frontline, uh, one of Australia's finest comedies. Absolutely. Bucks the trend of poor comedies in this country in a big way. I'm going for the Australian debut of a show that I didn't adore. <clears throat> Pardon me, but in the days prior to cable TV and Netflix, it was a show that I often watched because... When flicking the channels, it was always a safe bet, and that's Frasier. Not, not it. I don't like shows that tease out for years and years um, love interests, and and that was the one with Niles and Daphne that uh, it finally happened, and I find that quite annoying. There was a, a lot of the French farce about Frasier, but Kelsey Grammer is a very accomplished actor, uh, as is uh, the actor who played his brother Niles and his father. It was a very good ensemble cast, and I enjoyed it. So it's a spin-off from Cheers, a show that I probably liked more. No, I, I like Frasier, reasonable show. Abby, I've got to say, Abby loves Frasier, watches it religiously again and again and again. All right, footy memories to finish off, and we'll do these pretty quickly. Uh, my one, first thing that occurred to me, finally, we talk about that final round of 1987, famous final round where a whole lot of games went to the wire and decided final spots. But uh, in terms of finals, I reckon we've had the the best weekend of finals football in my lifetime. The first week of the 1994 final series began on Saturday afternoon out at Waverley with uh, a draw between North Melbourne and Hawthorne, which meant... Extra time used for the first time in a finals match. North Melbourne going on to win that same evening at the MCG. And yes, I got to both games. 
Uh, Billy Brownless famously delivering Geelong a win after the siren against Footscray. Heartbreak for the doggies, but another epic finals clash. Sunday afternoon, a massive finals upset. Carlton had finished in second spot. Melbourne was seventh, and the Demons upset the Blues with a former colleague of ours, David Schwartz, the Ox, playing one of his finest games. And then the weekend finished off over in Perth with first up against eighth West Coast, unbackable favourites against Collingwood. And the Pies almost pulled it off, uh, of course, famously in the last, right on the siren, Mickey McGuan missing the chance to take a mark and uh, have a crack at giving Collingwood the win. West Coast would go on and win the flag, but boy, they nearly had their apple cart upset by the pie. So it was an amazing weekend of finals, finally. And uh, I think everyone who was uh, watching in one form or another remembers it very fondly. All right, what's yours? Two very strange weeks in the life of the St Kilda Football Club. So apologies to Essendon, who probably would have made the eight had they not lost twice to lowly St Kilda. When they played them in round 18, St Kilda had not won for six weeks. And they lost, they drew against Adelaide and lost their five other games by more than 50 points. They were going terribly. Yet this incredible game happened at the MCG where St Kilda returned the most accurate score in the history of the game. They kicked 18 goals two to a not inaccurate Essendon 15-10. Essendon had therefore five more scoring shots but lost by 10 points. The only point scorers for St Kilda that afternoon were Lockett who kicked 6-1, he kicked a behind, and Stuart Lowe. Uh, one of the heroes was Craig O'Brien, a former bomber, who kicked four straight. But you know what, Rowan? A week's a long time in football. And do you know what happened the week after? Uh, I'm trying to remember, but I, oh, I did... No, I can't remember. What, did they play Geelong? No, uh, they played no, Brisbane they at uh, Waverley Park. And remember the team that scored 18-2 and had five less scoring shots yet won? Well, they kicked yeah. 5.15 to 8.7 and had five more scoring shots and lost. And Craig O'Brien, who kicked four goals straight against Essendon, kicked zero yeah. five against Brisbane. It was yeah. a bizarre game because Brisbane kicked one goal in the first quarter and no goals after half time. They kicked seven in the second quarter, but they kept goalless wow. for the entire second half while St Kilda piled on one goal 12. Well, they're about for a half and still won the game. Yep, it was a very strange game of football, but St Kilda proved. You know, Jeff Ferring the week after he kicked that ninety-meter goal played Sydney at South Melbourne at Waverley, and had a chance yeah. to win the game. He was thirty meters out and didn't make the distance. <laughs> and like yeah. like that, St Kilda went from most accurate to bloody inaccurate and lost to Brisbane. I would have thought, given Brisbane playing out at Waverley, they would have been pretty happy just not to get hailed on. It was the year. Well, it was the year after. It was the year after the Paul Pios game. Yeah, yeah. Here, can I ask you a trivia question from that game? Brisbane St Kilda. Yep. Three ex St Kilda players played for Brisbane that afternoon. Two of them kicked vital goals in the third quarter. Who were the goal kickers and who were the three players? In '94. Yep. Okay. Adrian Fletcher? He played, did not kick a goal. Oh, jeez. No, I've I've had a bad week, Fanny. You better tell me. Gilbert McAdam kicked a goal. Oh, yes. And Danny Craven kicked a goal. 
Danny Crichton. Yeah, yeah, I was having trouble even remembering he played for Brisbane. All right, uh, that is our look back at 1994, and uh, vinyl video will remain part of the show in our preview edition, which will ordinarily be coming to you on a Thursday. Uh, that takes us out, though, finally, for this week. Uh, really looking forward to round one. And uh, very quickly, too, just a reminder about the Footyology website, footyology.com.au, teaming up with Patreon, really after your support, people. Uh, it's been three years. Look, it is tough to maintain these things. We're not looking to make a killing. We're just looking to pay people what their labour for the website deserves. So please uh, join us on the uh, Footyology website, subscribe, and uh, we'll reward you with some pretty decent content. Okay, Finey, thank our sponsors. Beat Your Hunger, 144 Albert, uh, Bridport Street, Albert Park, Bridport Street, the beautiful Andrews Hamburgers, and for the best build, uh, Heppel, Dyson Heppel, Scott Pendlebury, Mike Sheen did it. Go to West Point Properties with Nick Spartels. I hope your team wins this weekend, even if it's the doggies, because let's be honest, we've been waiting for footy, and we want to welcome it back with a win. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy round one. We'll speak to you then.